In today's episode, we discuss a movie from 2022 with the shortest title of all the films we've seen. One letter, it's called X. It stars Mia Goth. She plays two separate roles. We discuss potential feminist takes on pornography. We discuss death and how we can all age wisely. And John takes us on a deep dive into the I-self versus the me-self. We're also joined by two guests. It's a crowded campfire, Kelly and Brad. Come and find out what we all think about X. John? John? Brian, hi. How's it? Uh, how you doing? I'm um, okay, John. How, how are you doing? I'm doing well, you know, just on to the next trail, just seeing what's ahead of us. Yeah, every day on to mm -hmm. the next trail. Yeah. You know, one thing I really love about hiking is the solitude. Yeah, it's nice to be by oneself, and I'm sorry that I'm here with you. Yeah, I regret your presence as well. And on that note, the trail's a little more crowded today. Hmm. Yeah, I see a couple of people. Hi. Oh, my God. Hi. How's it going? Hi. Oh, two people. <laughs> Who who are these who are these people? It's Kelly. It's Brad. Hello. I think I saw you guys before. Yeah, both formerly guests, but separately on our podcast today. They're guests at the same time. Woohoo. Double guest action. Crowded tent today. Well, it's a pleasure seeing you guys. You too. Mm-hmm. Thanks. It's a pleasure seeing you guys too. Well, John and Brad and Kelly. We're here today to talk about a movie that's possibly the shortest title that we reviewed. It's called X. Yeah, it's a very difficult movie to uh, Google anything about because even if you put X in uh, quotation marks, you get a lot of results. <laughs> so, Yeah, 2022. Brand new. Before we get started here, how do you guys feel about spoilers? I love them. I usually look up uh, what happens in a movie as I'm watching it. That's insane. I don't do that. But Brian, you do like watching a trailer before watching a movie. I, I don't understand that. I don't find a trailer to be a spoiler. Trailers are meant to pique oh. your interest. No, trailers for horror movies especially have the whole movie. Okay. Well, I just want to, I just want a general idea, basically, of how <laughs> much I'm going to have to cover my eyes or how painfully B-movie it's going to be. Ah. So the preview provides that. It definitely does. I don't even want to know the year the movie comes out. <laughs> I, I, well, that's I, strange. <laughs> I look at the movie poster to get a maybe a concept of interest, but if I had a, an ability to be able to know whether I want to watch a movie or not without seeing the poster, that would be my preference. Do you just show up to a movie theater with a blindfold on and say, I just want to see a horror movie. Don't even tell me what it's called. <laughs> yeah, I just give money and I say, movie. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, like, I'd like a ticket to movie, please. <laughs> sure they love you <laughs> brad you're are you sensitive to spoiler type material I like to go in fresh i'm not sensitive i'll watch a trailer i don't mind a trailer yeah, but i mind a trailer but uh i mean i like to look at the name and maybe <laughs> who's in it <laughs> see i don't want to know who's in it either because that's another uh little clue as to what you might be seeing who the director is maybe what kind of yeah i was gonna say i usually go off of the director like if it's Ari Aster, I will watch anything by him. And for his movies, I really don't want to know much about it because I want to be surprised. But I'm trying to think of any others. But yeah. Can I step step right in here and introduce my, my big question, my big idea? Yeah. I feel like it, I need to know, is appearing in pornographic films a sign of feminism? Is a, is a woman participating as an actress in a pornographic film, is that an act of feminism? Hmm. It depends <laughs> on a lot of things, I think. Like what? Can we define, define the different categories, maybe? Of porn? Well, no, that could take a while. I'm thinking more like, uh, <laughs> like okay, Get so I'm, 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 I'm watching porno A, and there's a, an actress who's in it. And she's, you know, performing as a viewer. How would I know that person is maybe engaging in a feminist activity? I think what makes 
porn kind of controversial in and of itself is that it's hard to know whether the the female participants are doing it because they want to, if they're doing it because, I mean, there's a lot of, of exploitation that comes, you know, from the production of porn. So um, I think that a lot of people feel like to err on the side of caution is to just not watch it at all because you don't really know what went into making it. Hmm. So if that's from the consumer standpoint, how would a participant be able to do a pornography that is defined as a feminist activity? Um, I mean, I know this is kind of an older example, but I think that like Jenna Jameson comes to mind. She was known for being able to choose the films and choose the actors who were in the films and to have a say in you know, things she felt comfortable with, things uh, she didn't feel comfortable with. And I think once you become a known actor, then you have more say and you can also be more vocal if you have felt exploited. But I think that for many, many women, when they're just starting out, you know, they don't really have much uh, control. I would add the assuming that most viewers of pornography are men there seems to be something to the argument that you're still the woman is still creating something that objectifies women a product uh, an art product that objectifies women ultimately and is is not contributing towards men viewing women as something other than objects could it be argued that regardless of the independence or amount of choice that the actress has she's still ultimately contributing to an art product that objectifies women and encourages that? Um, I think that that kind of depends. Like there's the whole, I think it's called the Beyonce version of feminism, which is women sort of realizing that a lot of the power that they hold over men is based on sex and Mm. on, you know, men sort of being weakened in some ways by sexual attraction. So to sort of use that to their advantage and to feel sexy and like in the past been seen as like, you know, women don't enjoy sex as much as men when it's like, well, I think a lot of them actually do. And so to just kind of own your sexuality as a feminist power, I think that's what the hope is when it comes to things like porn or things like, you know, strip clubs, things like that, where you have women who are seemingly in charge of what they're doing or sex workers, you know, they're seemingly, they're the, um, the product. So you would think that they would have the control over what they feel comfortable doing. I just think that sadly, that's kind of not always the case. It's tricky. I thought of, and this is maybe an older idea of feminism as I learned it at university, a woman who is able to manipulate or gain something from her presentation, objectification or sexuality, that the power that she gets from that is a secondary gain as opposed to a primary gain or a primary power. And so it was thought of as maybe in some ways diluted because Mm -hmm. they were only empowered by a proxy as opposed to being individually empowered or having power. But I don't know if that makes sense or is an outdated idea or what. The proxy being the male actor, assuming it's a a heterosexual traditional porno film. Well, in reverse, you could think of it too, where it's if I'm a guy and uh, let's say for instance, so a woman uh, is my supervisor and I'm able to get her to do things because she objectifies me I don't have the power. I'm using my ability to attract to get my supervisor to do something, but I'm not the supervisor. I have a a proxy power that I'm controlling or getting movement through, but I'm not the supervisor. I don't have that. I don't have that ability independent. It's, It's only due to someone else's motivation as they look at me or as they operate, as I kind of channel the power through them. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, I think it's a very circular argument, which can make it 
an interesting one to have. You know, it's it's sort of like that idea that if a woman marries for money, then she earns every penny. She is making the choice to, you know, gain wealth and everything that comes with it through marrying someone solely because they find her attractive enough to strike that bargain. So it's, it's like, you're both kind of using each other when it comes to sex, when it comes to all of that, you know, if a woman is giving it, is she in control or is the person who is taking it the person who is in control? I think that an argument could be made either way, just kind of depending on the situation and your perspective. But I think what's most important is that the woman has a choice in what she's doing. Okay. Wow. Right out of the gate, Brian, with a pretty yeah. heavy ask here. <laughs> well, to tie it to the movie, I mean, right. I feel like Maxine, the final girl, I think she's the final girl in this film. Mm-hmm. And Pearl, the older old lady, she can't even call her older. She's super old. Pearl is envious of Maxine for her beauty and Pearl harps on the fact that her beauty has faded and she Pearl the old lady wants to have sex and feels like her life isn't as full as it was when she was young so this movie seemingly has a a strong thread of sex and youth and maybe not independence per Mm -hmm. se but Maxine certainly sees her pornography as the the road to her dream she wants to own a house and be famous and views this filmmaking as a way to get her lifestyle set the way she wants it so it's a it's a it's for her at least for her character Maxine it's a it's her choice and she doesn't seem exploited in this movie because she's also in a relationship with the director right and just for a real short summary here so the movie X 2022 this director wasn't familiar to me, but evidently has a, a few titles under his belt. And actually from this movie has generated two more movies, one yet to be produced and one that was produced about Pearl herself, maybe a prequel of sorts. Mm-hmm. But in this movie, there's a, a team of a pornographic production that drives around in a van, comes to a, a filming location, films. There's a, an old couple that owns the property. Howard and Pearl are their name names. And um, what happens is that it appears that Pearl is a pervert, maybe, maybe. I don't want to, you know, classify. And uh, she goes, <laughs> she goes around, she goes around essentially trying to seduce or, or being enraptured by this production and maybe to some degree out of, out of her control kind of uh, has uh, some sexual attraction to various members of the production and then ends up essentially either by kidnap or by killing the rest of the the team here as she tries to recapture her youth through sex ultimately i don't know if is that sufficient of a summary um did i miss pieces i don't know how yeah. how accurate some of that was but but yeah feel free to give it a give it a go well i i think that pearl was just very um I don't know. She she was very reminiscent of of her youth and I think that having, you know, young people around and I believe Howard alluded to this not being the first time something like this happened. I think that Pearl was just very driven by wanting to feel wanted and she seemed like a person who was kind of used to feeling wanted when she was younger and I think that they made the choice to have her played by uh, Mia West. Is it Mia? No, it's Ty West is the director. It's Mia uh, Goth. Yeah, Mia Goth, which I I found really distracting, but <clears throat> I kept trying to figure out what that meant. Um, not having seen Pearl, uh, which is the prequel that was filmed um, at the same time, but I think that that uh, Pearl was just very besotted with youth, besotted with the idea of feeling wanted and she missed it. And she was very bitter and resentful that she no longer had it and having to watch these younger people have it just enraged her to the point where she just killed them all. 
But I think that she she related to Maxine in this way where she wanted to kind of recapture her youth. And I think that the recapturing was in her... I didn't really get the sense that she was sexually attracted to Maxine as much as she just kind of wanted to get as close to her and it was making her just feel kind of randy and like just and just kind of recollect her youth and her horniness and I think she was sexually frustrated because her husband wasn't able to you know have sex with her anymore so she just seemed very frustrated and very uh, bitter. Yeah. Howard had a heart issue that he frequently used as an excuse not to have sex. Well, he was right to, I mean, yeah. Doesn't, it ended doesn't up killing him. <laughs> so. Yeah. And Pearl had been a dancer in her youth. So mm-hmm. I don't know if that's meant to be viewed as the 1920s or 1930s equivalent of what Maxine is doing, but it's certainly related to body and and beauty and expressing the beauty of the body. There's a strong religious element in this movie too. Uh, Pearl, while being attracted to Maxine and jealous of what Maxine gets to do and and intrigued by it, she also calls her a whore. And and there's a a lot of religiously framed blaming of what she's up to. Mm Mm-hmm. So I don't know how to square that circle exactly. And and throughout the whole movie, there's these repeated scenes of a TV Christian evangelist expounding on sexual deviance and they're coming for our children and all that sort of thing. Yeah, there was a uh, Reddit post that I found really interesting where um, this person was uh, positing that the film is actually about the Ten Commandments and they went through all of them and how... Um, each of the commandments was depicted in the film and how, you know, violating these commandments resulted in all of these, you know, these murders or in the person who's committing it, uh, receiving their um, comeuppance. I don't know how accurate that is, but it was an interesting way to kind of frame the film. I'm, I'm trying to think of all Ten Commandments. I thought there were 12, actually, when she said yeah. 10. I was like, aren't there 12? You've been doing extra work, too? <laughs> I think yeah, that's I the have. 12 days of Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Is there some level of sympathy here for Pearl? Is that, am I gathering that? Um, Just from the consensus of others? I, I don't know. I I don't think so. I think that, I think that there was maybe supposed to be, but I really liked the other characters. I actually thought that I don't know. They were played really well. They were funny. I really just found myself having more sympathy for them as they were picked off one by one. So it made it kind of hard to feel any sympathy for Pearl and Howard. I felt like we were supposed to feel sympathy for Pearl. She she mutters things throughout the movie about, uh, you know, her desires and the way she'd like to be treated and <clears throat> kind of has this poor me presentation at the same time she's murdering people and gouging eyeballs out and knifing people in the neck so it the the sympathy sort of waxes and wanes but i think (laughs) ultimately it's a it's a we're meant to have a weird mix of of spooky reaction to her but also you know we're all going to wind up in that position where we don't have the powers of our youth and we might feel a lot of jealousy for those who still do and a desire to explain to those people what it's going to be like when we're old. So I think Pearl sort of, for me, yeah, there's, there's aspects of sympathy. Hmm. So sympathy, maybe it sounds like almost more like empathy from your side, as it feels like a experience that you would be um, at some point having to experience. Yeah. I felt like the movie was trying to say that like Maxine's going to be old one day and and the fact that it's the same actress playing both roles, I feel, is meant to emphasize that. This is this is Mia Goth as a beautiful young woman, and then we have Mia Goth as a not beautiful old woman with with the same wishes, really, the same physical desires, but she can't fulfill them and no one will no one wants to take her to bed and and fulfill them with her. 
Mm-hmm. I don't know where I don't know where the violence comes in, but I don't know. I mean, I think that Pearl just sort of felt like an an old incel, you know, and it's I mean, it's sad if she feels lonely and rejected, but you don't get to, you know, sexually assault people and um demand that you get what you want and that if you don't you have the right to kill them so i think i mean i had sympathy for her when she said to her husband uh like tell me i'm special i thought oh that's so sad that you know she's just she's old and you know what you guys said but i don't know when she started stabbing people in the neck and doing all that i was just right. like okay <laughs> this lady's gotta go <laughs> <laughs> yeah there it felt like there were two characters here that were highlighted most at least in my mind one was maxine and pearl i, I kind of combined them into one character arc even though they're different people and one who does not enjoy spoilers i didn't realize that that was played by the same actor until well, about three-fourths of the movie, I was like, mm, these these characters are unusually similar. I wonder if one is symbolic of a previous time. And then when I looked up later that it was played by the same person, I was like, well, yeah, there must be. There's a lot of intentionality here that was, you know, a, you, one could appreciate in watching it. But I don't think I don't think the average viewer would be like, oh, yeah, those are the same people. The other thought I had is, why didn't they just get an old person to play the old person? You know, it seemed a little strange to go through all that time and effort to make up someone to look like an old person when there's plenty of, you know, unemployed old people waiting to, you know, well, be be cast as Kelly. When local. you when you you said, <laughs> did you noodle out that it was the same actress while you were watching it? I um, knew before watching it that they were okay. played by the same actress. So I, I, had, um, I had suspicions while watching it, and I was just the the face, yeah, and the way of speaking. But I I wasn't certain until I looked up afterwards. So I I feel like the movie did that had the same actress play both roles so that the audience would at least suspect that it was the same actress. I think I think it was intentional. Were you yeah. aware, Brad? Uh, I was. I had a similar experience to Brian, um, where I was thought they looked similar in the movie, and then looked it up afterwards. But I think I agree. I think it was on purpose because there was a connection between the two characters, you know, in Pearl, like the way that she kind of, how she felt about Maxine and her own history. So I think it was on purpose. Yeah. Like kind of what Brian was saying. Yeah. I I would say the other character arc that I actually felt more powerful uh, was the one of Lorraine. Is that her name? Mm -hmm. Um, Also known as church mouse. Church mouse. Yeah. (laughs) I thought that her character was more powerful and I I'm kind of surprised that they put so much investment into Maxine and, you know, it sounds like constructing two full movies in relation to her because I felt that the, the church mouse character arc was, had more substance to it. Um, it kind of reminded me of this concept as one d- differentiates between uh, the I and the me and the me is kind of seen as, well, I guess I guess it's sort of like the me is like a, a learned interaction from others, and that kind of creates a portion of the self, and then you kind of internalize that. So, me is kind of how society sees you. And Lorraine or Church Mouse in particular felt like she was being influenced by the church or by I don't know, it's kind of social norms in which her ability to step out of that was frowned upon, and so that was kind of making up her character more than. Then she had a tolerance to, and then when she found herself in a situation in which she could participate in this porno, and um, that's when the eye kind of came out and became more animated. And then she started making decisions as to what she wanted to do. And this sort of self-censor had kind of reduced, and the me was reduced, and then she started animating herself as the eye. And I thought that was pretty remarkable and um, had a higher level of substance to then I feel like I'm old and losing things. What's the antidote? Have sex. Like, that seems a little primitive. Well, not so much primitive. It just doesn't feel of substance enough to really capture at least me. And then even with Lorraine and Church Mouse, she kind of, kind of stepped into her kind of I self 
And then later, maybe three fourths of the movie, when she was in the basement, <clears throat> she made an escape. And when she got out, she started blaming everyone else for her circumstance. It's your fault that I was here. You know, it's your fault that I found myself in this situation. So she kind of reverted back to that kind of me presentation where I've lost responsibility. I, it's not that I volunteered to do this. It was of your doing. And so she kind of folded back into that me state. So I thought that character, I don't know, kind of wrestling with that experience was more interesting than the kind of recapturing youth through sex. Yeah, I would agree with that. She is a strong character and interesting in, in that way. However, I I would just push back on the, like you said, that the, that the me self is influenced by how society sees you and social norms. She only she only begins to desire to appear in a pornographic film. However, when she sees other pornographic actors, so how is the so-called development of an I self any more independent from what she sees people around her doing? I was thinking that her, she had permission because on the scene in which she decided to do that, there was just a openness and a comfort within the social circle. People were just kind of half naked and they're playing music and just kind of being very casual. So there's maybe some space in which she could find permission to be more like herself or maybe step out of the requirements that maybe religion or society might be asking from her. She was like wearing the necklace, the, the cross necklace and was fiddling with it. She might've even taken it off. I don't remember, but it felt like up until that point, she had been restricted. And then with this safety area of safety, she could step out and kind of kind of be within a more of a pleasured, self-pleasured uh, viewpoint. But I, I do see your, it, well, that kind of speaks to the idea that we're essentially somewhat trapped by society in certain ways. It's fairly inescapable. You know, it's like thinking of like the human development, it's like you're born and you're born into society and you develop and society and people are influencing that development really through your entire lifespan, but really, but, but very substantially early on. And so it to some degree is inescapable, but in that one scene, it was very relaxed in which what is permanent and, and always around, this is basically as comfortable as it gets. This is a safety. This is as safe as it gets. And then so she kind of stepped out of that me more into an I. That's how I kind of saw it. I think another important element of her character, too, is the boyfriend. When she first says that she wants to participate in the movie as an actress, he's like, no, just it's very, very strongly depicted in the movie. Like he's just he's in control. He says no. And right. th then he tries to give all these arguments related to you know, the production and the script and so on. But it's pretty clear that he's just a jealous boyfriend. Doesn't want to, doesn't want her to have sex with the male pornographer, por pornographic star. Mm -hmm. And, and so for me, I, I agree her character is stronger and maybe more interesting than Pearl's. But I think that her, her character illustrates more the, uh, the, maybe the feminist thing or the, or the, the uh, imp empowering something al along empowerment more than more than the society's viewpoints of us, but that's just another idea. Those can kind of go hand in hand as well. They can be compatible, yeah. and yeah. And so, like, she pushed back against her boyfriend's wishes, and and I imagine had a certain level of knowledge that that could corrupt the relationship. Although it was a bit surprising to her later. Yeah, so she wanted to maintain the relationship. She didn't want to break up with him. But maybe that's the, the way to bring those together is just to say that women, in order to be I-selves instead of me-selves, have to overcome the additional pressure of a male, uh, you know, relationship figure. And perhaps men so much don't have to do that. Yeah, and, and that little scene where they stepped out, the porno producer he said something along the lines that you know 
women are going to do whatever they want to do anyways. And he also said something disparaging about how that they're all, well, not bad girls, but they aren't all good girls or something like that. People do, do yeah, there are no good he, girls. Yeah. So, I mean, so yeah. So or none of them are good girls, I think is what yeah. he said. I actually didn't think that was disparaging. I thought I was honest. I, I thought he was saying, you know, like you have this Madonna and whore complex, but women are just people and they're sexual people too. So to, to put your girlfriend up on this like virginal pedestal is not something you should do. I thought that was what he was trying to say. Yeah, I could see that. And I, I would agree. Yeah. There was a very strange scene. I thought where he stepped the same guy, Wayne, I think his name was the, the director. He steps out into the hallway with, with RJ, the filmer, the camera guy and RJ's, his character is very into filming and wants to, wants to innovate the way pornos are presented. And he says stuff about how they do it in France and so on. And then there's that one scene where they step out and uh, I think it's right after the first sex scene and Wayne says something like, feel how hard I am. And he grabs RJ's <laughs> hand yeah. and and I didn't understand that. Like, that was a strange scene to me. <laughs> I just feel how erect I am and then, and then forces him to grab his crutch. When I saw that, I actually thought that would be fun to do with my guy friends. Wouldn't yeah. that be funny? <laughs> Let's... I thought that is what you guys did. Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> I think that just showed how kind of different, how differently they viewed the whole process. Because RJ mm -hmm. was so into making an artsy film. And Wayne was like, yeah, totally. Like, But the truth of it is he just wanted to make a movie where people got naked and he could make a bunch of money. It, it was done in a very odd way <laughs> that doesn't reflect <laughs> reality, but it just showed the differences. Wayne's interest was in the emerging home video market VCRs mm -hmm. and how people were going to be able to have more control over when they viewed porn and what kind of porn they viewed and being able to watch it at home would reduce a lot of the stigma around access and so on. So that's what he was excited about, so to speak. Yeah. And so in thinking about the movie, as it relates to its main theme, at least as I saw it with the, um, trying to find immunity from old age, how do you guys, if you feel comfortable talking about what your antidote to that is in this movie, it was seemingly 100% around sex. If I have sex, I feel young. Once I get old, in order for me to feel young again, I must have sex. If I'm not having sex, I feel old. I don't know. I mean, that's a very simple way of maybe summarizing the movie. But I, I felt like that was a central theme, at least as to what uh, Pearl was trying to reconnect with her youth around, knowing uh, our situations of inevitable death. Do you guys have any antidotes to uh, this creeping doom? <laughs> If you feel comfortable. My first thought is that I don't know what my bodily urges are going to be like at that stage. I hope that they will be less urgent than they are at my current age of life. I, I find it consoling to hope that when I'm when I'm unable to uh, attract and unable to perform uh, a sexual act, my bodily urges to do so will be correspondingly diminished. Mm. Um, I think mine is probably stoicism. Um, I just, I don't think that we should try to avoid the inevitable. And I think that there is something to be said for every chapter of life and I, I think that, you know, there are things to look forward to, but that you're better off just kind of appreciating where you are now, wherever that is. And also to try to fill your time with, you know, things that make you happy. Like if Pearl had a hobby, maybe she would have been happier and, and more fulfilled. But I think 
to be very um, focused on what you've lost is a recipe for sadness and misery. So in, in my view, one part of it is, well, if to, to uh, reduce regret, one must do as much as they can. I haven't really found that to be completely satisfying because there's always something more to do, but the, I think there is a certain amount of bitterness of youth that was squandered. I guess, yeah, squandered youth exactly. Which I think uh, the blonde said something along those lines yeah. to Pearl. But um, I think that like my approach, which happened is helpful sometimes, is to do something new and try something that is somewhat complex that will take time to learn and it kind of puts you in a place of youth youthful i don't know i wouldn't say innocence but more just unaware you kind of unaware of what's happening and it requires you to exercise uh the concepts of discovery and reason and growth and that experience feels youthful because you're essentially having to recreate things from zero. And so I, that's one of the things I like to do is to try new project projects that will then make me approach at a primitive level, something of complexity and then grow from there. Uh, it's almost like a little life cycle. Yeah. That's also the trick. Um, they say to not feeling like the years are just passing you by really quickly. Um, is that if you're trying to learn new things and if you're just sort of always focused on learning and being um, curious that you don't have that feeling of just every day is the same and, you know, um, and that's why when we're younger, we don't feel that way because our brains are just constantly being exposed to new experiences, new, you know, new educational experiences, all of that. Yeah, I think that there's a there's a rigidity to thought process. And if something comes up and, and it's within a realm in which you've already experienced, then you conclude it very quickly. And there's like there's already a neural track for it. And it's just like a lightning bolt from discovery to conclusion. And there's a rigidity that comes with that and a, um, a things become less remarkable. And so that's kind of I'm trying to almost like turn over the garden in a way which in some ways is exhausting. So it's not like it's, it has its downfalls and it has its uh, drawbacks, but that's, that's kind of my thing. Brad, how do you, uh, the Grim Reaper is at the door knocking. What's the answer? Yeah, it's interesting. My, my thought, my initial thoughts about it were kind of similar to what Kelly said, but also a mixture of what, what you said, you know, there's nothing you can do. Um, and so there's something to be said for that, where it's just, um, you take it, take it as it is and just sort of relent to it, I guess, in some ways. But, um, one of the things that I found is kind of what you were saying in a different way, where in my youth, I was exposed to all these different things and you get a certain level of enjoyment out of it. But one thing I found as I get older is deepening my enjoyment in very specific things. So as I was younger, I was exposed to a lot of things that I could see whether or not I did enjoy them or not. And now that I'm a little older, I'm like, okay, I've done that. I don't enjoy that. I'm not really going to spend any more time on that. And I really do enjoy this other thing. And so I'm going to deepen my knowledge of that. And through that learning, the intricacies, kind of what, what you were just speaking to, like keeping keeping the excitement by learning things, but sort of in a very, um, I don't know, in a deeper way. I can't think of a better way to describe it, but. Mm, no, that sounds like I hear what you're saying. That's uh, that makes sense to me. Yeah. I mean, on like a very superficial level, right? Like, Oh, I don't have to go stay up really late. Like, I don't know, partying um, anymore. I mean, not, I don't have to, but like, I, do, I don't get the same level of enjoyment out of it, but I do get certain enjoyment out of working in my garden or something like that, that I just have, was always exposed to, but now I can really spend time on it. So. Hmm. 
but Grim Reaper's still coming. <laughs> yeah, there's something that I actually find very sad about people who seem very focused on trying to extend, whether it's their youth or just, you know, experiences that I think there is something to be said for being able to let things go and let things be part of the past. And I actually, I mean, this might sound very, very weird and very dramatic, but when I was watching Pearl, um, when she pushed, I can't remember her name, but Robbie Lynn. Yeah. When, when she pushed her into the lake, um, I actually, I thought of, this is so random, but I thought of Kim Kardashian saying that she would eat poop every day if it meant that she could stay youthful longer. And I just thought, like, (laughs) I could see someone like Kim Kardashian, like, if they're lucky enough to get older, you know, being like this with younger, pretty women like just so angry because so much of their self-worth has been placed in you know looks and in youth and it's not gonna last and so there's just something so sad I think about I don't know Brad when you were talking I was just like imagining like you know the the, like old uh, couple at the club like that kind of a thing where you're just like wow that's just sad man like why don't you just go do something that like old people do and So (laughs) I don't know. I think Pearl, I just, I can't really relate to that. I mean, obviously they took care of themselves physically because they got to a point where they were so old. I mean, they were, they were in their nineties, right? They look like they were in their nineties. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And not many people get to live to be that long. So it, it just seems like such a waste to spend those years just wishing that you could be young again. Well, there's in thinking about the movie and it's, it's a horror movie. So there's horrific categories to it. There is the murderous scenes. Sure. And the gore that goes along with that. I'm assuming that the horror within this movie is finding yourself in Pearl's situation where you're regretful and bitter at 80 looking back at the misspent youth or, or maybe not making the best of your opportunities. And um, it is difficult to position myself into that position, as Brian said earlier, to a degree where it's, I don't know what that will be like. I, I do think that there are things that you just can't do when you get older. And I don't know how upsetting that would be. I, I mean, I think it would be within the category, I put it beyond frustration. I'm thinking upsetting, like uh, somewhat levels of, uh, yeah, either a mental level of regret or a te- feel like a, almost a terror feeling of, you know, it's like if I look into my future, I, I, I can think of decades of time when you're 80, you look into the future and, and there's singles, possibly months in certain categories where it's like, I'd almost find a certain amount of apathy associated with that, where it's like, well, well, I guess I just won't do anything. Um, But I don't know. You know, it's difficult to say. Maybe there's a contentment that comes with that, or I'll think completely differently. You know, in in Brian's category, when you talked about the urges that might be uh, reduced, that might actually bring a sense of closure or a sense of peace, where it's like, I'm not being, you know, my my feelings of, I don't know, you call it passion, but almost like this, this drive to reproduce has somewhat left me. Thank thank you. Uh, that, that was a pain in the ass at times because it kind of animated me in ways in which it compelled me to do things or act ways in which I just didn't have an intellectual interest in maybe. And it's, and it's forcing me in certain ways to do things beyond what I might choose to do. And so if that went away, maybe that would be a better place. I don't know. I mean, from a biological perspective, our urge to reproduce is is meant to cause us to reproduce. And then after that point, from the genes point of view, 
current uh, continued living is is not no longer valuable, right? Your your genes want you to reproduce, and that's why you have all these feelings to desire sex. And so the whole life extending mission that everybody's on, ultimately from from the biological point of view, is completely purposeless. And and the fact that medicine allows us to live so long. And uh, all this, you know, these are questions that that don't have any answers beyond what society tells us the answers are. And uh, right now, all society tells us is that youth is what's valuable, and and um, we're we're taught to we don't we don't like looking at old people. We we sort of hide old people away. Um, we we uh, you know we don't put them in our movies and on our on our screens and and so on. We're obsessed with youth and. So that's nothing concrete other than to say that the the dealing with our old age is, is not something that anyone has a good sense of how to do, I would argue. I mean, yeah, look at this movie. They didn't even hire old people. Yeah. Yeah. Like I have two, two uh, additional topics that I think we need to quickly deal with. One is the issue with the connection to Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Uh, that's one. And the other one is the, I don't feel like we've adequately dealt with the Christian evangelist guy. And at the end of the movie, it's revealed that Maxine herself is his daughter. Okay. So those two things. Um, do we feel we need to address the Maxine going in old face as a Pearl? Is that uh discriminatory in any way to ageist maybe I don't don't think so I think it was just meant to (laughs) to um to bring uh Pearl about in uh Ty West's mind so Brian's got those two things any other any things to add to the list so we can no I think I just wanted to um, touch on the glorification of youth and how depressing it is but I think we've already done that. <laughs> <laughs> We're yeah, uh, yeah. I read several reviews which mentioned the opinion that this movie, out of all the movies that try to reminisce on uh, the feeling and the and the look of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, this one pulls it out, pulls it off the best. There's also mentioning of how this movie has elements, uh, callbacks to Psycho, but. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't really definitely. I don't really know much about Psycho, but for yeah, the the look of the house and the fact that it's in Texas and the isolation, I guess, all are reminiscent of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But having said that, there are no chainsaws. There's no equivalent to Leatherface. There's not the yeah. So those are those are my initial thoughts. Like if this movie is about this movie's more about creepy old age and i feel like the violence is just i don't know I, I, the, this didn't really feel like a horror movie to me maybe is my where i come down on the whole texas chainsaw inspiration thing i felt house of a thousand corpses was much more in the vein of texas chainsaw massacre so for a reviewer to say that this was more similar to tcm than any other movie i think overlooks that particular movie because it was almost unimaginative in its way of reproducing the same elements of TCM. But yeah, I think that there's a, maybe some cinematography pieces and the fact that it's supposedly set in Texas and people show up in a van, like Mm -hmm. those are elements that are of a similar vein, but beyond that, I didn't see much similarity. Uh, Well, I think um, also that it's a group of friends and then they, they all get uh, picked off sort of one by one and they don't know that it's happening to each other until I'm trying to think of, of if anyone actually witnessed anyone else being killed. Cause I know that, that they were all kind of looking for each other, but um, at the end when uh, Maxine just left, I actually <laughs> wondered how does she know that, um, no one else is like still sleeping or, you know, she just seemed to kind of uh, bail very quickly. So um, I think that that element as well is reminiscent of Texas Chainsaw Massacre and is also kind of horrifying if you think about it, just 
this idea, like if we went to go stay at an Airbnb <laughs> and, you know, we're just getting picked off one by one. Yeah. I'm like, who is going to get the deposit? This is mm. very stressful. <laughs> yeah. Gotta leave a, leave a review. There's a lot of gruesome deaths though. Like slashery. Yeah. And the, the guy that was chained up in the basement, that was the, that was the filmmaker, right? That was, uh, yeah. No. RJ. Yeah. I, I don't think so. I, I, I couldn't tell if that was a old, a guy from a different experience or if that was RJ, but yeah, no, I think it was Actually, a different no, person. Wasn't. Yeah. yeah cause, Cause Maxine saw um, RJ in front of the, uh, the car when she was leaving. Yeah, I think it was the the Volkswagen Beetle person. You're supposed to assume. Um, what's it? Jackson discovers that in the the swamp. He discovers someone else's car. I think it's supposed to be that person's. Yeah, so it kind of gives this enduring quality of uh, Pearl having done this with other people, and we're kind of stepping into a half finished experience that had started. I don't know how many cars there were there. If it was just one, but uh, and you know the. Howard being the husband kind of had this idea that people were seducing his wife, but at age 80, just in thinking of lifespan, this, unless this is a burst of energy near death that Pearl just kind of pulls out of nowhere, which I doubt, then Pearl would probably have been doing this all her life, uh, you know, post-adolescence. Yeah. And um, I do know that that's what uh, the movie Pearl is. <laughs> well, it's her backstory. So, And the religious evangelist? I feel like Texas in 1979 and black and white television all, all were working together to create that. And that's a very, that's a very Texas 1979 <laughs> thing to have on TV. And uh, like I said, the the evangelist appears throughout the whole film. And when they stop for food at the little store at the very beginning, the store clerk is watching it. And yeah, um, you said something about the the Ten Commandments. I don't know if we want to bridge to that idea, too. But Maxine, at the end, in her dialogue, after she runs over Pearl... She says some things like praise the Lord and and it was divine intervention and there's a crucifix hanging from her rearview mirror and uh so she's rejecting some if if the evangelist is her father, she's rejecting his influence and and branching off onto this pornographic career to 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 get a lifestyle that she finds suitable. And she takes his mantra and that's like her mantra throughout the whole movie what's what mantra oh the like i will not live a life i don't deserve oh yeah yeah that's what she was like saying the whole movie and then it's what he says in the in the end of his sermon i I found the the religious aspect of it like confusing other Mm -hmm. than on a very simple level just the morality pieces um you know, about like sex and things like that, but I couldn't grasp what they were trying to say other than there were two opposing points. Um, there was just so much other stuff with like ageism and mm-hmm. it, just it being a slasher movie. <laughs> like, you know, uh, found it hard to understand. What was that mantra again? Can you say it again? Uh, I will not accept a life I do not deserve. It's, it's very odd, like a negative. Double negative, but huh? Yeah, yeah. that's uh, she did. I, yeah, you're right. She did say that a lot, and I'm 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 trying to decode that. Like what? Uh... There's there's another thing earlier. Maxine had escaped from the slaughterhouse. So again, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre thing. I guess someone in her family is involved with the slaughterhouse. How did you find that out? Is that was that like I, just a little dialogue? It was something bit? Wayne said. You know, she had she had escaped the slaughterhouse. It wasn't like a, a, a colorful way of saying something. It was a literal no, slaughterhouse. Was, well, I took it that way. Yeah. Hmm. So she was she was destined for 
a religious slaughterhouse <laughs> lifestyle, you know, <laughs> classic. Hmm. I mean, it does play a little bit into the I and me type piece, but I mean, if you think of the, if one could consider the religious aspect as the durable and all-knowing social I, you, one could extend it that far. I mean, to consider that even when no one is looking at me, God is looking at me and in, in, in finding me that I'm doing things I shouldn't be doing, this invisible man, essentially. That's a, that's a pretty creepy concept in itself, but it would extend the social eye beyond its own capacity to a, I don't know, an, an absurd level, which, you know, if, if, if the observing eye has a certain corrective element and I'm born into a world that's highly sociable, then I want to make sure that I fit that. But I also am an individual who wants to make their own choices and, and um, accept the responsibilities of those choices so that I can kind of find myself and, and live a life I want to live. And if there's a religious eye that's looking at me at all points in time, that would hyper shape me, hyper shape me in ways in which I could not find myself in the same way. I don't know if that's the continuation of the Lorraine character or not. I mean, I kind of inserted that without the director's permission to some degree. So then to push that out onto the religious aspect is maybe even more of a reach, but that would be my review of it. I think that maybe it, it was trying to kind of highlight that Maxine's choices were probably influenced by wanting to reject such a religious influence on her life and to choose such, um, you know, provocative uh, careers. And she also seemed very um, put off by uh, Church Mouse's sort of reaction to her. She commented that she felt watched and she felt judged. Mm -hmm. And I think that could maybe relate back to her experience with her father and the church, but also to just the, you know, the impression that religious people have of God, of how he's always watching, he's always judging. And so she just didn't like feeling like she was being judged. Um, I don't know if any of this makes any sense, but that's kind of what I took from uh, the presence of the uh, the preacher throughout the film. Yeah, and then maybe Pearl as the is the internalization of all that, and and running over Pearl's head at the end is sort of for Maxine the final breaking point away from those influences. She's she's internalized her that that horror complex idea you talked about, and mm -hmm. um, she's done with it. Yeah, and I think that they um, they also, in their conversation about why they were doing what they were doing, they kind of touched on the hypocrisy of, you know, of anyone judging what they're doing and their urges and the, like, sex is something that everybody wants and does, um, you know, for Pearl to call Maxine a whore and to make these judgments about, you know, uh, seeing what she was doing and everything while uh, Pearl was committing all of these murders is obviously really hypocritical. Like, how, like who are you to judge me when you just murdered all of my friends? So, <laughs> yeah. All right, guys. Well, yeah. it's been a pleasure. <laughs> this this camp time just burned out. Yeah. Yeah. Sundial is really casting a shadow you know what i'm saying you have a sundial is it like a <laughs> wonderful one? yeah i have i carry around this i carry this in my backpack that's uh that's how i know what time it is well it's actually you know what actually it's a hat that i wear it's a hat mm -hmm. and the sundials on top <laughs> i never know the time but i just have to ask you i was wondering what that was <laughs> where is the shadow now i thought it was a helicopter hat <laughs> Well, it's been a pleasure to see you all again. 
Yeah, back at you. Watch out for alligators. Yeah, mountain alligators. And uh, <laughs> here, here are some Twix bars if you guys get a little hungry on the on the sticks. Thanks. Hey, yeah. those are mine. <laughs> <laughs> 